Well, good morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 103, Book of Psalms, number 103. And we're going to begin in verse 8 and read down through verse 14. Psalm 103 and verse 8, the Bible says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. Let's pray. Father, I'm overwhelmed with your goodness and your mercy. Lord, I just pray that You would just break our hearts this morning as you've broken mine. Lord, we need you. Thank you so much for your mercy. We don't deserve any of this, but you you offer it to us. Lord, I just pray that you'd speak through preacher. Fill him with your Holy Spirit and just speak to our hearts. And thank you so much for the blessing that you are. And Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would reign upon us this morning and that we would respond as needed. Lord, we need you, we love you, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, for the last several weeks, we have been studying the thought of knowing God. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. God wants us to know him. And we've talked about some of the different ways in which we can know God. And this morning we want to talk about God's mercy. Knowing God's mercy. I'm so glad that we have a merciful God. Amen. Much of the teachings of Jesus in the Beatitudes either comes directly or is closely related to the Old Testament. Mercy is something that I think is in short supply in our world today. And sad to say, sometimes it's in short supply in our church as well. And we have to be careful about that. Mercy and forgiveness is something that all of us would like to see showered on us. We want mercy. We want forgiveness. But somehow we say, don't ask me to do the same for someone else. It's not a part of my nature. Well, it isn't part of our nature because we still have an old sinful nature, don't we? But we, we want to allow God's nature that divine nature that we receive when we become a Christian to flow through us and therefore we can show mercy to other people. I read about a lady not long ago who had her picture taken 
And when she was examining the proof of the picture, she complained to the photographer. And he said, what's wrong? She said, wrong? This picture doesn't do me justice. <laughs> to which he looked at her and said, ma'am, you don't need justice. You need mercy. <laughs> During Jesus' time here on this earth, mercy was oftentimes seen as a weakness and not a virtue. And that's still true today. People think of mercy oftentimes as a weakness. A Roman philosopher once called mercy a disease of the soul. Mercy was seen by them as a sign that you didn't have what it took to be a man in their society. All weakness was despised by the Roman society and they would avoid it. And so back then, mercy was a rare commodity. That thought that mercy is a sign of weakness was proven false by the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was proven, proven false in the history of the nation of Israel. In fact, in ancient Israel, the temple had within it the mercy seat, and the mercy seat was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And that was a symbol of God's presence and God's pardon. Big difference when you think about mercy not being seen as a sign of weakness, and yet God looks at it as his presence and his pardon. The blood of the temple sacrifice was brought into the temple and was sprinkled on the mercy seat and secured the atonement for sin. Atonement means, if you break it down, at one. It means to be made one with God. When we sin, our sin separates us from God. The blood of Jesus Christ brings us back in fellowship with God. In the Old Testament, they had the animal sacrifices that were offered and made atonement or brought back into fellowship with God, the people. And so the blood of the sacrifice was needed for mercy to be extended. And the same thing is true for us today. Though we don't have animal sacrifices, we have the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his blood is necessary for us to be able to have the mercy of God. It's necessary for us to experience that mercy. A.W. Tozer, who was a great Christian author, said this. He said it was the mercy of God that gave us the cross, not the cross that gave us mercy. The symbol of Christian faith is the cross. We oftentimes wear a cross on a necklace or wear cross lapel pins or, or put crosses on our signs. I was coming back from, Vicki and I were coming back from San Diego and there was a man sitting in front of us and he had a, he had a sign or had a, had a t-shirt on and on the back of it it said, Brother Bill's heating and air conditioning. And the heating had a T which was bigger with a cross on it. And I got to talking to him a few minutes and found out his dad was a pastor. And, and, uh, and, but that, that cross is a symbol of Christianity to us today, a symbol of our Christian faith. There's a lot of different ideas of what mercy is. Some of the ideas we can take just as a grain of salt because there are a lot of misconceptions that go into the matter of mercy. So the question then is, what is mercy? When we talk about God is mercy, what is mercy? When we think about defining mercy, one inescapable fact is that mercy dwells in the realm of the guilty. It's the guilty person that needs mercy, amen? It's the guilty one that, they say, throws themselves on the mercy of the court. 
In the parable of the unmerciful servant that's given to us in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18, it was the one who was owing much money that was asked for mercy asked mercy and was declined. The word that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 5 when he said, blessed are the merciful, the word for mercy is the, the Greek word elios. It, it is a word that in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, is the word chesep, and it literally means to get inside of someone's skin. Have you ever had somebody say, they just get under my skin? Well, that's usually not mercy. That's not what we're talking about when they get under your skin. But the idea is for us to get inside of somebody, mercy feels what they're going through. You understand their trial or their burden or, or what they're experiencing. We move in, you might say, on behalf of the person that's struggling. If you think about it, every one of us have needed mercy to be shown towards us at one time or another in our life. Maybe it was not having to pay a bill that we owed and we received mercy. Maybe not receiving the punishment that we deserved or not getting a ticket from the police officer and instead got a warning ticket. We got mercy. Not being penalized in school for handing in a late paper. Maybe receiving help on a job or a project around the home that was our responsibility that we should have taken care of. But did you know the greatest mercy shower that there has ever been was God himself? In Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, he says, It is the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed. It's of his mercy that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God shows mercy to every one of us. If we didn't, if he didn't, we'd be dead. <laughs> because we've all sinned. We've all violated God's holy law. And yet God does not immediately cast us into hell when we violate his law. He doesn't immediately destroy us when we break his commandments. If he did, earth would be unpopulated by now, wouldn't it? God's greatest show of mercy was when he sent his son to the cross at Calvary. And Jesus died there on the cross and paid my sin debt and paid your sin debt. Hold your finger there in Psalm chapter 103 and go over with me to the New Testament. I want you to look at Romans chapter 8 and verses 6 and 7 and 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse number 6. And I want you to see what God says about his mercy. In Romans chapter 8 and verse number 6, he says, for to be carnally minded, that's, that's the unsaved person. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, it's an enemy of God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Before we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Bible says we cannot please God. And consequently, we all have failed him and we all need his mercy, don't we? We need him to show mercy towards us. But now that we are saved, those of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior, through faith in his Son, God has shown us his mercy and forgiven us of our sins and he's given to us everlasting life. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, many of you know those verses. It says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, 
And that not of yourselves, it is the what? Gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. It is the mercy of God. Sometimes we think about grace and mercy. What's the difference? Grace is God giving to me what I don't deserve. When you and I die, we don't deserve heaven, but grace, the grace of God, gives us heaven. Mercy is God withholding from me what I do deserve. If I got what I deserve when I die, I'd go to hell. But thank God for His mercy, He doesn't give me what I deserve. His mercy is such a tremendous blessing, not just at the moment that we get saved, we trust Christ as our Savior, but throughout our lives as Christians, God's mercy is revealed to us over and over and over again. And in our text here in Psalm 103, the Bible gives to us a clear understanding of what the mercy of God really is. I want you to notice several things with me, and there's some notes on the back of your bulletin if you want to fill them out. First of all, notice the declaration of God's mercy. The declaration, he starts out in verse 1 and he just simply says, The Lord is merciful. He doesn't start out by trying to explain it, though he does give us some explanation, but he just says God is merciful. That's a declaration. God declares He is merciful. First of all, God declares that He is a God of mercy. He's a God of mercy. He's merciful. Merciful is the adjective form of a word that means to love deeply, be compassionate. God is one who loves us deeply. He has compassion on us. When God described himself to Moses in the Old Testament, he said in Exodus 34 and verse 6, he said, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and in truth. The Lord God, merciful. Because God is merciful, because he is compassionate, he cares for us. He cares for you. He's concerned about your well-being. He's concerned about your needs. He's concerned about your eternal life. With God, you are not just a number that's printed out on a computer. With God, you are a real person. Amen? Some of you guys who work with computers who do some of the programming, all you've got all those numbers you've got to fit together and work all that. Aren't you glad we're not just a number to God? Amen? We're a real person. He knows us by name. He knows your name. He knows your address. He knows your phone number. He knows the number of hairs on your head, the Bible says. It's easier for me than it is for you, but he, he knows how many hairs are on our head. He cares about us. And so he declares that he is a God of mercy. And then he also declares that he's gracious. He's gracious. Verse number 8 again says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. When we think about grace, a lot of times we think of the term unmerited favor. We don't deserve what God gives to us. He gives us heaven. We don't deserve that. He gives us blessings. He daily loads us with benefits, the Bible says. We don't deserve that. He gives us his unmerited favor. Because God is gracious to us, he shows us that favor that we do not deserve. Not only does this verse declare that God is merciful and that he is gracious, but it also says that he is slow to anger in verse number 8. God is slow to anger. He provides forgiveness. He provides healing. He provides salvation. And he provides so much for, to, for us. Why does he do all of that? Because his nature is merciful. His nature is gracious. 
and his mercy and grace is shown towards us in that he is patient towards us. He is slow to anger. I was reading this week and I saw that water boils at 212 degrees. Olive oil boils at 570 degrees. Mercury boils at 675 degrees. But the ver verses 8 and 9 teach us that God's boiling point is a whole lot higher than that. Amen? He is slow to anger. How many, don't raise your hand, how many of you wish you were slow to anger sometimes? God wants us to have the same nature that he does. And he wants us to be slow to anger. He talks about that in other places in scripture. But I'm glad God is slow to anger. Many of us, we can lose our temperature, our temperature, we can lose our temper. <laughs> we can lose our temper at the drop of a hat. And some of you will even drop the hat if you need to. But God says he's slow to anger. I'm sure glad God doesn't get angry with us like sometimes we get angry with other people. Yes, God's righteous wrath is a terrible thing to experience, but I'm glad he's slow to anger. He doesn't come to that wrath immediately. He's slow to anger. If God was not slow to anger, the children of Israel would have never made it out of the wilderness into the promised land. Between their complaining and their immorality and their idolatry, there was enough for God to wipe them out. But the Bible says he was slow to anger. And then God also declares that he is plenteous in mercy. Not as he just merciful. The end of the verse says, and plenteous in mercy. That means that God abounds in love and mercy. He abounds in kindness. Get this through your thick skull this morning. God loves you. Amen? Amen. He loves you. And he is gracious and he is merciful towards us. And that's not just a cliche, God loves us. It's real. He loves us. Now, I know there's a lot of things going around in our world today, a lot of false teaching. That if God loves everybody, then how could he send anybody to hell? God loves you so much that he provided a way you would not have to go to hell. Amen. He sent his only begotten son. Would we do that for somebody else? Would we give our son? Would we give our daughter? Would we give our children? we wouldn't be so quick to do it as God was. God gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. God made every provision so that not a single one of us would have to die and go to hell. God in his love and in his mercy provided a way that we can be saved and that we can go to heaven. He is plenteous in mercy. He loves us. He cares for us. And then I want you to notice also the description of God's mercy. In verses 9 and 10, he tries to describe for us his mercy. And he tells us in verse number 9 that God does not always chide. He says he will not always chide. What does that mean? It simply means that he's not always scolding us. God's not always scolding you. He's not always fussing at you. He loves you. Amen? He's not always chiding with you. It's the same idea as the verse found over in James chapter 1 and verse 5 when the Lord said there, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth liberally to all men and, and there's a little word there that says, and abradeth not. 
Uh, what does that mean, upbraided? It's that same word chide here. In other words, God says when we ask for mercy, he doesn't scold us. He doesn't find fault with us. He said when we ask for wisdom, he gives liberally to all men. Don't you think God could find enough with every one of us to scold us and fuss at us about things in our life? But aren't you glad when you ask God for something, he doesn't scold you? I'm glad he doesn't bring up my past every time I ask him for something. Amen? He loves me. And he's not always chiding. And he says here in this verse, he will not always chide. None of us are perfect. We could all do better. He would be justified in scolding every one of us. But God realizes that if all he ever did would scold us, we would be easily discouraged. And when he scolds us, he corrects us. He tries to help us so that we will confess our sins and do better. By the way, let me just say this. If you have children, your children do not need to always hear you scolding them. They need to hear you say, I love you. They tell us for every one time you scold your child, they ought to hear you seven times praise them. That's a pretty good ratio. I never sat down and figured it out, but I'm sure God has praised me and loved me and shown mercy towards me a whole, long, a whole lot more times than he scolded me. And I'm glad that God, my Heavenly Father, lets me live in an atmosphere of mercy. And our homes ought to be an atmosphere of mercy towards our children, towards our wife, towards our husband. There ought to be love and mercy and grace and not just scolding and fussing and yelling all the time. There's a time for scolding. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. When we as a child of God persist in disobedience to the Lord. The Lord prompts us. He convicts us. He reminds us. But he's merciful. He gives us time, doesn't he? But if we persist and keep on in our disobedience, then God has to chasten us. Then he has to scold us. Then he has to discipline us. And God's discipline for you and me always is for our good. It's to make us better. You know what I find sometimes with parents? We discipline our children not to make them better, but to make us look better. We don't want those kids messing up and making me look bad, so I'll correct them. No, my correction for my kids ought to be not worried about what I look like, but helping them to become what God wants them to be. And we have a Heavenly Father who sometimes has to chasten us to bring us to confess our sins and to help us to be what we want, what he wants us to be. And so his chastening is always for our good and for his glory. And then notice also God does not keep his anger forever. He doesn't keep his anger forever. Verse number 9 says, He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. Psalm 32, verse 5, puts it this way. It says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sins. Aren't you glad when we confess our sins and make things right with God, that God doesn't keep his anger forever? He forgives us. Again, sometimes as parents, our kids do something and we have to chasten them. And we chasten them, and then, you know, 
three hours later, we remind them what they did, and you know, we just we just keep on and keep on. We don't let it go. God does not keep his anger forever. As Christians, Christ died on the cross for our sins. And when we sin as Christians, we do not lose our salvation, as I said earlier. We lose our fellowship with God, but we don't lose our relationship. We're still a child of God. When we confess our sins, our fellowship is restored, and God is no longer angry with us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when you and I arrive in heaven and face the judgment seat of Christ and receive our rewards and in some cases our embarrassments, that will be the end of it. There will be no more anger. God does not keep his anger forever. Verse 10 of our text in Psalm 103 says, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Think about that for a minute. He hasn't dealt with us according to our sins. If he dealt with us according to our sins and our iniquities, we'd all be in the doghouse all the time, wouldn't we? <laughs> but he forgives us and cleanses us and loves us and shows his mercy towards us. Our sins and our iniquities he dealt with at the cross and put them on the back of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, instead of putting them on our back and making us carry them. And then thirdly, I want you to see the dimensions of God's mercy. The dimensions of his mercy. Verse number 11 says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he, remembered our, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. In these two verses, you have two pictures of the mercy of God. One deals with the height, the other deals with the width. Verse 11 says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. How high is the heavens above the earth? The distance of heaven above the earth it, it, kind of reminds me of the Energizer Bunny. It just keeps going and going and going and going. Higher and higher and higher. He says that the, as, as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. The space above the earth goes for billions and trillions of miles. That's a lot of distance, and that represents a lot of mercy. I may not know why, I may not know how, I may know, not know exactly what you're going through or how you're hurting today, but I can assure you that God does, and God shows mercy toward you. And he shows mercy toward me. We can be sure of his mercy. He said his mercy is as high as the heavens above the earth. His mercy is towards them that fear him. It's towards them that fear him. If you feared him enough to trust him as your Lord and Savior, his mercy is there for you. As you fear as you have reverential respect towards God in your Christian walk, you begin to see the evidences of His mercy in your life day after day after day. I suggest you take time to just stop and look at them and look for them. And then verse number 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Did you know if you travel north far enough, you get to the North Pole, and guess what happens? 
you start going south, don't you? If you go south far enough, you get to the South Pole, and then you start going north again. But if you go east, you just keep on going east. You never reach the end of it. If you go west, you just keep on going west. You never reach the end of it. Why? That's a picture of God's mercy. He said, as far as the east is from the west, there's no end to it. That's how far God has removed our transgressions from us. They're gone. The kids used to sing a song, gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. They are gone. Amen? In His mercy, He's forgiven us. He's taken them away as far as the east is from the west. When it comes to our sins, God sends them in one direction, you might say, and sends us in the other direction and will never meet again. Every sin that you have ever committed has been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. Every sin you ever will commit in the future has already been paid for by Jesus on the cross at Calvary. You say, preacher, how's that possible? Well, when Jesus died on the cross, it was almost 2,000 years ago. How many sins had you committed when Jesus died on the cross? Unless you're over 2,000 years old, none of you had committed any sins yet, right? So if he could die for the sins that I have committed in the past, but they were in the future then, he can die for the sins that are in the future now. He died for all of my sins. Every sin I've ever committed and you've ever committed is paid for. And when we commit a sin as a Christian, that sin will not keep you out of heaven because it's already paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. Now, let me say this. This does not give us license to sin. That does not mean I can go out and do whatever I want to. Romans chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2 says, What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Because we have received so much mercy from God, we should not want to sin. And when we do sin, it ought to hurt us. I can remember as a kid growing up, we had nine kids in our family. I was right in the middle. But one thing about my dad, dad was a strong disciplinarian. I mean, he, he laid down the law and you did it. You obeyed it or you suffered the consequences. He was very strict on us. But there was something in me that didn't want to disappoint my dad. And there ought to be something in us as a Christian, as a believer, that we don't want to disappoint our Heavenly Father. Because of His mercy, because He has forgiven me, because He has saved me and washed away all of my sins, I don't want to disappoint Him. I want to please Him and live for Him and serve Him. We love our loving God and our wonderful Savior. And so we should make every effort to flee sin. We should make every effort to keep short accounts with God and stay in right relationship and in fellowship with Him. And then number four, notice the delight of God's mercy. The delight of His mercy. Verse number 13, he says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Unfortunately, for some people, this verse doesn't have the significance as it does to others because they may have never experienced the love of a loving father. 
But there's something about a father who loves you. The psalmist is saying here that a good father loves his children. And God, our heavenly father, loves his children. He loves those that fear him. And I'm thankful we have a God who loves us. And it's amazing that he says in that verse, Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. That doesn't mean he feels sorry for us. That means he understands what we're going through. By the way, isn't that why Jesus came to become a man? He became one of us. He became a man. He experienced. It says he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews says, We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was tempted in all points like as we are. He understands what we're going through. He pities us. He knows, he knows that we still have a sinful nature. He doesn't excuse our sin because of that, but he understands. He knows that. You know, sometimes I think about Jesus and I'm praying and I may, I may say, you know, I, I thank the Lord for the sinless life of Jesus and I thank him for that he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. But then in my mind I think, but he didn't have a sinful nature like I do. But you know what? He knows that too. He knows you and I have a sinful nature. He knows what we have to struggle with and deal with. And David said, he pitieth, like a father pitieth his children, he pities us, those that fear him. The design of God's mercy. He will never overload you with trials. He knows what you're going through. He won't give you more than what you can bear. He'll never overload you with temptation. He won't give you more temptation. In fact, he says that with the temptation, he'll make a way of escape. He will never overload you with tasks. He'll never ask you to do more than what you can do with his help and with his power. He knows us. He pities us. He understands us. He loves us. He is merciful towards us. He is a merciful God. Robert Schuller used to have the Crystal Cathedral out in California, and I didn't, don't agree with all of his theology, but he's told a story one time about a lady by the name of Bernice Shrug, Shug. And he said she needed work, and so they hired her as a housekeeper. She was a lovely woman, he said. She showered them with love and kindness. But he says that no one knew her hidden hurts that she carried with her all the time. And one day she came to Dr. Schuler and she said, Bob, I was reading the bulletin and I noticed that we're having a guest speaker next Sunday. We're having a man that was a kamikaze pilot. Schuler nodded, telling this particular pilot had a tremendous story of how he found Christ as his Savior and got saved. And she looked at him and she said, That may be true, but my boy was killed in World War II by a kamikaze pilot, and I don't think I can handle it. Shula understood what she was going through and he told her he didn't think it would hurt if she missed one Sunday. And he wrote this, he said, the next week the Japanese pilot shared his story. His love and gratitude for Jesus shone in his black eyes. You could feel the love and release that he had found. 
People were moved by his testimony. And when the service was over, I walked with him down the aisle to the rear of the church when suddenly, as we, as we approached the last pew, an older woman stepped out directly in our path. She stood in front of the kamikaze pilot and blocked his exit. She looked him square in the eyes and she said, my son was killed by a kamikaze. It was Bernice. Dr. Schuler said we all held our breath as she continued. I have seen how God has forgiven you of your sins. And now for the first time in 40 years, I've allowed him to forgive me. Will you forgive me for my hatred for your people? And with tears in his eyes, the young pilot said, Will you forgive me for what my people did to you? She threw her arms around the little Japanese man and they stood there crying, holding each other. And they said to one another, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Perhaps you're in the same place where Bernice, Bernice was today. Maybe you're holding an unmerciful spirit towards someone or someone, something somebody did to you. Don't you think it's time to let go of that load you've been carrying? Ask God to forgive you for not extending mercy just like He extended mercy towards us and forgive. It'll free you from the misery. It'll free you from the guilt that you've been carrying. It'll free you from the burden for the first time in your life. We, our sins, nailed Jesus Christ to the cross at Calvary. We killed God's Son. In fact, Romans 3.19 says that every mouth may be stopped and every man may become guilty before God. We're all guilty of nailing Jesus to the cross. And now He has forgiven us. If you've been saved and trusted Him, you've been forgiven. Now God wants us to forgive those who have hurt us. He is merciful. Now it's our time to show, show mercy. If you've never experienced His mercy, if you've never trusted Him as your Lord and Savior, He says to you, come to Me, I will forgive. In fact, remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, what did He say? He said, Father, forgive them. The very people that were crucifying Him, He said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And He says to you and me, if we'll come to Him, Him that cometh unto Me, I will in no wise cast out. He'll forgive us. And then when He forgives us, He wants us to extend the same mercy and the same forgiveness to those who have hurt us and harmed us and failed us. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Father, thank You, thank You, thank You for the mercy of God. Thank You that we have a merciful God who is full of mercy. And thank you for extending that mercy to us at our salvation and over and over again in our Christian life as we've come and confessed our sin. And you've been merciful to forgive us. You didn't exercise your wrath and cast us into hell or take our life or destroy us. You showed mercy. And there may be some folks carrying some heavy burdens today that you would like to lift if they'll show mercy. 
Only by your grace can we do it. Would you help us to be like you in being merciful? With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder how many of you here today would say, Preacher, I've experienced the mercy of God. I've trusted Him as my Lord and Savior. He's extended His mercy to me and forgiven me of my sins. And I've trusted Him as my Savior. If I die today, I know for sure I'm going to heaven. You can say, I know Christ as my Savior. I know I'm going to heaven. If that's true in your life, would you just slip up your hand and, as a testimony of that fact? I know for sure I'm saved and going to heaven. I know Christ. God bless you. You may put it down. I couldn't see everybody's hand. I would not embarrass you. But I wonder if there's somebody here today to say, Preacher, I'd like to experience that mercy. I'd like to have God forgive me of all my sins and save me. Our heads are bowed and eyes closed, but you'd say, Preacher, pray for me. I'd like to be saved and know for sure I'm going to heaven. Would you just slip up your hand and let me pray for you? Anyone? I'm not sure of that, but I'd like to be sure. Pray for me. I want to be sure. I don't see anyone raise their hand. I, I hope that means everybody here knows Christ as their Savior. But I want to ask you another question that I wanted to get to this morning. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder how many would say, Preacher, there's some deep hurt in my life. Maybe nobody knows about it. Maybe others do know about it. But you've carried this heavy burden. This morning you'd say, Preacher, would you pray with me that God would give me mercy to forgive? Like Jesus forgave me. Would you pray for me this morning that God would give me that mercy to forgive that person who hurt me or those people who hurt me? Pray for me this morning. Would you lift your hand and let me pray for you? God bless you and God bless you and God bless you and you. Yes. Are there others? God bless you. I see your hand. Anyone else? Pray that God would give me that mercy. Amen. Thank you. Lord, you know our hearts today. And because you are a merciful God, you feel what we're feeling right now. Would you extend your grace and your mercy and help us? We can't do it on our own. But with your help, we can forgive. If you forgave us of the sin that nailed your son to the cross, you can give us grace to forgive whatever that person has done to us or those people. And lift the burden and lift the guilt and restore the joy in my heart. Lord, would you do it today? And would you help each of those who raise their hand to right now just cry out to you and ask for your mercy. And would you help them to be able to say as Bernice did, I forgive you for what your people did to me. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.